We are one week into 2023, and uh, how are the New Year's resolutions going? Everyone doing okay? Uh, I saw this, it's always fun to make fun of New Year's resolutions, but uh, I saw this little comic that you'll see on the screen that I think explains it well. What exactly is a New Year's resolution? It's a to-do list for the first week in January. So, so hopefully, hopefully you got that far, at least. And as I, as I started, you know, you think about New Year's resolutions and it's easy to make fun of them. But on the other side of that, on the other side of it, is to have no goals and to desire no change in your life, that's not particularly attractive either. And so I'm trying to paint a picture of somewhere in the middle, maybe not setting all sorts of New Year's resolutions and thinking, you know, it, you know that everything will change. Again, we, if you are part of a health club or a gym, you sort of know that January and mid-February are pretty busy. Then by the time you get to about March 1st, everything's back to normal there. Uh, we know that. But yet on the other side, there is something about setting some goals, sort of having a sense of here's where I want to be at the end of this year. And there's value in that. And if I was to say to you this morning, as you think one year from now, January 2024, where do you want to be? What kind of person would you want to be? What kind of character do you want to develop? Where would, your life, where would you like your life to be? It would be good to have an answer to that. I hope we would all agree with that, that having some sense of purpose and direction and some sense of, Lord, I'd like you to do this in my life this year is a good thing. And even as we think about that here in the introduction, let me just slip in a little announcement only because it fits. But as we've entered 2023, this is a vision year for Harbor. We'll celebrate our 35th anniversary in May. And every five years as a church, we look forward five years. And so this year, or this year, we call it Harbor 40. And we look forward to our, our 40th anniversary, 35th this year, five years from now. And we simply ask the question, and everyone has opportunity to participate in this in all sorts of different ways. What do we want to look like as a church five years from now? It's a good question to ask. A lot of time and energy and people and all sorts of things are going to be expended over the next five years. And we're going to ask ourselves our question, just where are we going? Before we do all that, let's just sort of set a target and head out on uh, and make sure we know we have a common direction. So that's what we're doing as a church, but that's valuable for every single person. Where would you want to be this year? Where would you want to be five years from now? And so as you would think about that this morning, here's my hope and prayer for us today that I might give you a few things from Scripture, three prayers that you could pray, where you could say, Lord, one year from now, may this, be the, may this have occurred in my life. May, have, may this have happened. And that's my hope and prayer today, to give you three prayers, three ideas that you may take away, look over this next year and say, oh God, may you work this in my heart. These three prayers come from a man named Paul. Probably many of you are familiar with him. We call him the Apostle Paul. If you remember his story, he started out with a life mission, which was to persecute and destroy the church. And then in a moment we, re we record in Acts chapter 9, he meets Jesus in a vision. His eyes are opened. He sees who Christ is and he is transformed. And rather than being someone that's persecuting the church, he wants to grow the church and multiplies the church. 
And we read his story in the book of Acts, and he writes all sorts of letters to the church he starts, and he writes letters to the pastors of the churches that are ministering there. And in one of the letters, he gives us a sense of what his life is about. He says, here's what my life is about, and here's what I desire for the people that you're ministering to or the people that I'm coming in contact with. And so that's where we come this morning. What was Paul's life was about? If he was here, what would he tell us his life was about? And if he got to speak to us, what would he want to put in our hearts for this year? That's what we're going to find in Scripture today. And so as we open this up again, my heart and prayer that we would take what Paul desires for his life and we would want that for our lives as well. So let me invite you, and I haven't said, uh, let me say it, turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. The reason I stumbled there is because I'm used to saying turn in your Bibles to Luke. I've said that for a whole year. Your Bibles are probably on autopilot to Luke. But we're going to Titus today, all the way to the back of your Bible. If you find Hebrews, just come forward like two pages, and it's there. If you get to Timothy, keep going a little back. It's just one page, a book in the Bible. And we start today seven weeks walking through this letter that Paul wrote. And we're going to study that through this morning. We see his introduction and we see what his heart is for, for who he is and what he's wired to. Let me, what I want to do is just do two things here as we begin. I just want to tell you who Titus is. It's the name of the book. So I'll spend a little time doing that and then tell you the three prayers that Paul leads to us there in Titus chapter 1. My name is Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. Welcome to all of you here this morning in Harbor Online. This is a special welcome to you in 2023 as well. So who is Titus? If you look, if you're open in your Bibles there down to verse 4, Paul says he is a true son in the faith. So the best we can understand there is Paul shares the gospel probably in a city called Antioch. Paul, he, uh, Paul shares the gospel. Titus hears the gospel from Paul and turns and trusts in Jesus Christ. So Titus is an early disciple of Paul. And we know a couple of different things that Titus is involved in, in, in the scriptures. One, in Acts eleven twenty nine, we read that Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem from the city Antioch, and they go there to meet with Peter and John. You know them, the two disciples of Jesus. That's quite a meeting, isn't it? Peter and John and Paul and Barnabas, and they all traveled together. And part of what they discussed in that meeting was how God was transforming the lives of non-Jewish people. That, that the message of Jesus was beginning to move out apart from just Jewish people, but into Gentile lives, into non-Jewish people. And they were being changed as well. And they didn't necessarily need to follow all the Jewish external rules. And so that was a big meeting because some people were say, saying, oh no, non-Jewish people still need to do all the Jewish requirements. And so in that meeting, Paul brings someone with him who was, who was a non-Jewish person who was transformed by the gospel to be an example to the disciples in the church in Jerusalem in what God can do in Gentile people. And that person is Titus. Imagine Paul saying to Titus, hey, Titus, come with us to Jerusalem. We'll take a little trip. Oh, good. Who are we going to see? Peter and John the disciples of Jesus. Imagine Titus, he'd be like, oh, I just want to just be in the same room as them. They can tell me what Jesus was like. And Paul says, what are we going to do there? And he says, Titus, here's what you're going to do. You're going to share your testimony. Just share how Jesus has changed your life to Peter and John, the disciples of Jesus. Just show how God transforms a life. And so that's the early picture of Titus, someone who's been transformed by the gospel. And then we don't hear much from him until we get to Paul in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. 
God's at work in Ephesus, lots of churches are being started, but from his second missionary journey, there's a city called Corinth, and that church is not doing too well. So Paul goes over there on a boat, tries to get that church straightened out. It's not going well. He comes back to Ephesus on the boat. Things aren't going well. He hears another report, and so Paul writes what he calls himself a severe letter. You sort of know what kind of letter that is, right? The severe letter to the church in Corinth. He's trying to get them in shape. He's trying to get them to turn, turn around. And he looks around and he says, hey, take this severe letter over to the church in Corinth. And you know who he selects? Titus. If you're Titus, you're like, really, Paul, take the letter yourself and read that out loud to the church, right? It's, this is severe, right? People aren't gonna like it. Paul's like, no, Titus, take the letter over there, read the letter and then work everything out. It'll all be good. And then Paul says, go and we'll meet in the north. I'll leave and we'll meet together in the north. And so Titus goes. Paul has some persecution, has to leave Ephesus early. He gets up to Troas. Titus is not there. He's worried about him. So he crosses over, probably gets down to where Philippi is, the book of Philippians. And Paul's worried about Titus. What's happened to him? I sent the severe letter. What's going on in the church? And then Titus arrives, probably in Philippi. Paul's like, Titus, what happened? He says, Paul, it's all good. It's all good. It's not perfect. Still a little bit of craziness in the church of Corinth, but we're making progress. We're making progress. And Paul says, oh, wonderful. I'm going to write them another letter. So Paul writes them another letter. And we have that letter. It's called 2 Corinthians. And he hands that letter probably to Titus and says, Titus, take that letter back to the church in Corinth and bring them this report. And so that's our second picture of Titus. You sort of get an idea who he is. He's a diplomat. He's wise, right? He's able to go into tough situations and stand strong and bring truth, but also able to bring unity and togetherness. And then one last picture of Titus, it's at the end of Paul's life. He, he, after that time in Ephesus, he goes to Jerusalem, he's arrested, imprisoned in Rome, gets released from prison. We don't hear this in scripture, uh, just little pieces of it, but we know after he gets out of prison, he then says to Titus, hey, let's go to the island of Crete. I've never been there before. I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So they go to the island of Crete. They start preaching the gospel, making disciples. All sorts of people get saved. All sorts of little churches start. God, Paul and Titus are there doing a great work. And then Paul looks at Titus and he says, hey, God's at work here. We're seeing these churches start. And then he says this, okay, I'm going to leave now. It's up to you. Carry on. And if you're Titus, you're like, Paul, you're leaving. We just got here. Paul's like, no, I got more territory to go to. Titus, you stay here on this island with all these new believers and get these churches established and started. And so Paul takes off doesn't abandon him, goes off to a new field. But then as he gets away, he thinks in his head, I should really write Titus a letter. That's a difficult island there, that island of Crete. All these new believers, all these new churches, I should write him some instructions to remind him of what to do. And so he writes what we have as the book of Titus. And he writes this back to Titus on the island of Crete. Titus, here's how you get these churches established. Here's how you move people forward. And that's the letter that you have before you, those one or two pages in Scripture. If you look down there in your Bibles to the introduction, you'll see it's long. It's about four verses. It's the longest introduction of any of Paul's letters. The reason for that is he wasn't well known. He hadn't been there long. So he's trying to establish his credibility. And in establishing his credibility, he's trying to establish the credibility of Titus to all of these new believers. And so that's how we see the opening. And that's why we get an extended introduction here of what Paul is about. He wants to speak. This is who I am and this is what I desire for you. So look down to verse one. How is Paul going to say this is what I'm about? Here's what he writes. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect. So Paul, he says his name. He says this. I'm a servant of God. I'm a slave to God. 
That's how I relate to God. He's the master, I'm the slave, I'm the servant, and then I'm an apostle, I'm sent by Jesus. I'm on a mission. So a slave to God, sent by Jesus. Paul, what are you sent to do? Look at what it says. He's sent to further the faith. Paul says, I've been chosen by God to further the faith of other people. My heart, my passion, here's what Paul's saying, is to move others along in their faith. If we were to have Paul here today and say, Paul, what matters to you? He would say, people's faith advancement that they come to know the message of Jesus, to trust in him and be transformed by that. That's what Paul says here. I've been sent by Jesus to further the faith of other people. So as we just pause and think, what would be a prayer for us then in this, in this year? Where might you wanna end up a year from now? Here's the prayer. God, would you use me to further the faith of other people? God, might you use me this year? If this is Paul's heart to further the faith, God, might this be something for me? Would you use me to further the faith of other people? Parents, if you're wondering, if you've got kids in the home, who does this apply to? It applies to your kids. Parents, you're charged with furthering the faith of your children. Then for others of you, you may think of family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors. Maybe a name is coming to mind now where you might say, God, would you use me to further their faith, to grow their faith? Here's a question that I've been asking myself, just reflecting back on 2022. Here's the question I've asked myself as I think back about the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples. Here's what I've been asking myself. Jeff, have you, did you make a disciple in 2022? You know, is there anyone that would say that you have discipled them, that you've moved them forward in their faith. And here's what I know, it's not all about me, right? It's all of us together making disciples. So I know that it's all of us, but I also would wanna say, is there anyone who personally I have engaged with that they would say, I have helped disciple them, move them further along in my faith. And I am praying the same for this next year. God, may you bring others my way who I could disciple personally and help move them forward in the faith. This matters deeply. This is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And I want to agree with Paul here. I want to be involved in making disciples. And as you might think about your life, can you think back on this last year? Is there someone that you have made a disciple of? Is there someone that you have furthered their faith in? And as you will look forward this year, would you say, God, may you allow me to further the faith of something else? I want to say all I can, exert as much influence as I can to say, may we as a church, may we take this seriously. May we invest ourselves in furthering the faith and making disciples of others. It matters deeply. This is what Paul says is his number one is. But even as I say that, even as I challenge us to make a difference in other people's lives, Paul balances this. You have to look here. Paul balances this with some great and deep theology. And we're still not even out of verse 1. But this is how Paul writes it. This is how theologically centered he is. Look down in your Bibles. He says, further the faith of who? Of God's elect. What, what's an election? An elect. It means God's chosen people. So Paul now is narrowing. He's saying, who do we seek to further the faith in? Well, those that God has chosen, those that God has elected. And this gets us to this great doctrine of grace. Just for a moment, think of it in these terms. Why do some people believe in Jesus and some people not? 
Why are some of you here today followers of Christ and why are others not? Is it because we, you, are more clever or more godly or lived a more righteous life or you're more deserving? No, not at all. Even the memory verse we said at the beginning, it's not because of the righteous things we have done. Why is anyone find Christ? It's all grace. It's always and only starts with God. He opens our eyes, gives us life and gives us faith. If God never did that, then no one would ever believe in him. And it's this value here, as you understand this, that gives us help and confidence in trying to further the faith of other people. It could almost seem like it would discourage it, but it actually helps advance it. When you come to understand what Paul is saying, I want to further the faith of God's elect, this instills in us such confidence and such help. Let me illustrate that this way. I talked earlier about Corinth. After that church got started, it was a difficult church for Paul, but it was difficult when he first went to the city. He went there as a missionary, he was proclaiming the gospel, and it was not going well. People hated him, he was threatened to his life, he thought he might die, he was so discouraged he thought about quitting. And one night in prayer, where Paul is in Corinth crying out to God, Jesus speaks these words in a vision to him. And here's what Jesus says to Paul, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. What wonderful words from Jesus. Paul, just keep sharing the gospel. Keep throwing out your seed. No one's going to harm you. No one's going to attack you. And then Jesus says these words to Paul. These are such wonderful words. It's the last part of the verse. He says, because I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. If you're Paul, you want to be sarcastic, you're like, Jesus, you got nobody in this city. At least not that I can find. Anyone that's in the city just wants to kill me. But Paul, Jesus says to Paul, keep sharing my truth. Keep spreading the gospel. I've got many. And Paul, as you are faithful in doing that, you will see people's faith advance. You will see people's faith move forward. So just be faithful in what you're doing. Think of it in these terms. You know, spring is a little ways off, but spring comes and you get a little pack of seeds and you look on the seeds and for the sake of this illustration, there's an expiry date on the seeds. I have no idea if that's true or not, but let's just pretend. So there's this expiry date on the seeds and you've got a couple of choices with that. Think, okay, these seeds are no good. They're beyond, you know, the expiry date. You could just throw them out, be done with it. Or you could say this, well, let me take these seeds and let me plant them. These are dead seeds, but maybe some will have life and some will grow. And that's exactly what Paul or Jesus was saying to Paul. That's exactly what he means here. Let's just plant some seeds. Not all will have life. Not all will grow, but yet some will. I have many people in this city. Paul, plant seeds and I will grow some of them. I try to share every so often some stories of us as a church going out as we do every Wednesday and knock on doors and offer to share the gospel and pray with people. The phrase I always use when we do that is organized public evangelism leads to organic personal evangelism. The reason we go out organized and publicly is our heart that it always would lead to organic personal evangelism. But a story from back in November, I was leading on uh, 
on this Wednesday, and so there was eight of us, and so I had a great plan. There was two big, long streets, and we're gonna start here at the bottom, down at the bottom of the street, you know, two teams of four, two pairs on each side, just work your way up the street there, and work your way up the street there. It was a great plan. I drew the maps out and everything, it was wonderful. As we drove along in the car, I said, oh, there's where the first team will go, they'll go up this street, everything was good. Then we got to the next street, and it wasn't there. And somehow on the map, you know, you can't see these Google Maps well and everything. The, the street wasn't there. And so I just said to the person who was driving, oh, let's just go up to the next street and we'll, you know, just make our way back. But as, as you know in St. Catharines, that next street really wasn't there. It was sort of there, but then when we finally found it and turned left and tried to make our way back, you know, it doesn't quite make its way back. And so we're sort of wandering in this neighborhood, trying to find the street that I had found, wasting time. And so I just said to the guy who was driving, this looks like a wonderful street. Let's just stop here and go on this street because I just wanted to get out and not keep being lost. So we get out on the street, second door we knock on, knock on a door, meet a delightful woman. She invites us into her home and that was very nice because it was cold outside. We prayed with her, she, we shared the gospel with her, and then two of the things she said, and I'll just be brief with this. First thing she said was just today, I was praying for guidance. I was praying that God might guide me. And after we shared, then I was the silent partner, she asked my partner, oh, what church are you from? And my partner said, oh, we're from Harbor Fellowship Church. And she said, oh, I know that church, I drive by it. At times it's called my name. And then my partner said, oh, and this is the pastor of that church. <laughs> and so there we were. You know, and then as we continued to talk, and I so appreciated her and hoped at some point and have prayed that she may join our community. She'd be a wonderful addition here. She said to us, well, how did you know to come to my house? And I wish I had said, well, we have this whole great strategic plan where we just cover the city in blocks. And I actually said to her, I said, you know, well, we're lost. We're not really sure where we're supposed to be. We can't find the right streets but we're exactly where God would have us. And that's how God works. He just goes before us. Here we are lost and in the wrong place, but just committed to sowing seeds. And then we encounter just the person God had for us. Now I share that story because again, I feel like in that story, no matter what happens in that woman's life, and I continue to pray for her, no matter what happens, I've been faithful to do my part. I've been faithful to sow the seed and we trust God, may you take that seed and may it bring life into her soul. And so as you would ponder this, making a difference in someone else's life, Lord, use me to advance the faith of others. May we say, God, may you give us the courage and the boldness and the faith and the perspective just to proclaim your truth, to sow seeds and then look for God where you are at work and see God and then cooperate with that. If you want to make a difference in someone else's life, if you want to further someone else's faith, it starts with sharing the truth, spreading some seeds, and God uses that often to grow. So that's our first idea, our first prayer for today, for this year. Lord, may you use me to make a spiritual difference in someone else's life. May you use me to further someone's faith. Then look down to the second half of verse one. Paul's gonna say a second thing, a second area where he, something else he wants to further. It's not just the faith, this one's very different than the first one. He says this, further the faith of God's elect and further their knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. Here's the second thing Paul wanted to further, people's knowledge people's information, people's understanding of truth. 
Paul's saying truth really matters. What I've just talked about, the salvation message, the gospel message, but all the depth of it, all that it means, the full counsel of God. And Paul wants, and we'll see this play out in the book of Titus, Paul wants this church to know what truth is and what falseness is, because there's a lot of problems with that. And so he's saying, here, I want to dedicate, I want to teach people the knowledge of truth. My life mission is to further people's knowledge of the scriptures, that we would get roots deep down. And so here's the second prayer. Here's the second prayer as we think about what Paul would want for us to further our knowledge of truth. Here's the prayer. Lord, grow in me a greater knowledge of gospel truth. What do you need this year? What do we all need this year? We need more truth. We need to get our roots deep down in scripture. That really matters. That's what Paul is saying here. On, in Crete, Timothy, get their roots into scripture so that they might grow. And I trust that's a prayer we all might pray this year. That you might arrive 12 months from now and say, you know, I know scripture better. I understand the gospel more. I have a greater depth of knowledge in what the Bible teaches. Now, if you're praying that prayer, let me also just give one way that prayer could be answered. And you've already heard us talk about it. It's simply this, join an all-church group. We start today seven weeks through the book of Titus. And we would love to have every single person. In fact, that's my heart and that's my request. It's such a great way to grow in our knowledge of truth, to be together in community, to encourage each other in the faith. And so would you just make time for that? Cheryl will be at the table afterwards. Would you sign up and be a part of a group over these next six weeks as a way, or next six weeks, starting next Sunday, as a way of answering this prayer? That's our heart for you. There's just one other thing I want to say about what Paul says. He wants to grow knowledge, but look down. It's not just knowledge to pass the test. It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. Where does this knowledge lead? Look what it says. A knowledge that leads to godliness. And Crete's a pretty immoral place. And Paul's saying, I want people to be godly on this island. And here's a strategy to help people be godly. He's saying you need more truth. Truth changes people's behavior. Truth works out in people's lives. That's his heart. It's not how, how you feel. It's not the power of your will. But Paul is saying what's going to make people godly is greater truth. And he wants them to instruct it knowing there's a result. And so let me just say this. Let me correct maybe some New Year's resolutions. And again, if your New Year's resolution was to be more godly. And again, I don't think anyone probably said that, although that would be a good one. It's usually be more blank. I need to be more of this behavior or less of this behavior, right? I need to be more godly in this area by doing more of this or less of this. Paul is actually saying here that that is the outcome, not the goal. The goal is knowledge of the truth. The more truth you know, then the result is greater godliness. And so you may need to rethink your New Year's resolution, your goal. What truth do I need to learn that will result in me behaving and living more godly? And then one other point here before we move on. It's certainly clear from this text that Paul believes that if you are a follower of Jesus, your life looks different. He's saying here that if you know the truth of Christianity, you will be godly. You live differently. He's seeing a connection between the two. And so even as you might evaluate your life today, 
And you might say, you know, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. What that means is it means a commitment to godliness. It means to live in the way he has called us to live. Paul's not divorcing those two at all. And maybe this morning in some of your hearts, you just might need to say, God, I repent. I've sinned. I've done what is wrong. I know your truth and I'm not living it. And so I turn from that sin. And I want to live in the way that you have called me to live, in the godly way that you have asked me to live. So here's the first two prayers that Paul says. God, help me further the faith of other people. And then the second prayer is this. God, may you grow in me a knowledge of your gospel truth. So we've got faith. We've got truth. And then what is that going to lead to? Faith to truth. What comes next? What's the result of that? Let me read all of verse 2 and 3. It's a lot of words, but let me just read it all. In the hope of eternal life, which God does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light during the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. Whole lot of words there, but look at the third word. What does he say? When we have faith that leads to greater truth, what's the outcome? Hope. Do you see that? And some of you just so need this today. You've had a difficult year. You've had just a really hard year. You've had a hard two, five years. But here's what Paul says. It is possible to have hope. Faith leads to hope. Truth leads to hope. What is hope? We can look beyond our present situation and know that there is something better. We can sort of be in the midst of pain and hurt and sorrow or whatever it is, but we can have hope that, that, that one day, one day the best is yet to come. And look how Paul writes it. It's not just wishful thinking hope. Hope actually has an object. Do you see it? The hope of what? Eternal life. And what Paul says is the more faith we have and the more truth we get, the more we you know, develop our faith, the more truth we get, what begins to reside in us is a hope of eternal life. One day, we, all who are in Christ, will be forever with him. That's, that's eternal life. To know God and to know His Son, Jesus Christ. To be forever on a new heaven and earth. To have every pain and sorrow wiped away. To be totally made new and be the person He wants us to be. That's the hope He's talking about. The hope of eternal life. That's the hope we need in the midst of so much hopelessness. And Paul is saying you can have that. That, that exists as we grow in our faith and as we grow in truth. So here's the third prayer. Lord, help me grow greater hope in Your promises. God, help me grow greater hope in your promises. And some of you even this morning might say, I've got, I've got low hope. I've got low hope and that's okay. But this could be a great prayer for you a year from now, Lord. May I just understand more what it means and all that you promise, all that I can be assured of for eternal life. Now look down in the verse. How does this happen? Paul says there's this future hope for all of eternity. We will have eternal life. And then look, he says, in the past, before the beginning of time. So before the beginning of time, God promised something. And all in the future, for all of eternity, we will live it out. But how do we experience it in the present? Paul, how do we bridge this gap? Look what he says. Verse, verse 3. And which now, this appointed season, has been brought to light. Oh yes, the hope has been brought to light. How, Paul? Through the preaching entrusted to me. Fascinating. 
Paul says the way we grow in greater hope is through the preaching of the Word of God. Preaching of the Word. When the Word is proclaimed, when the Word is declared, it has a way of growing greater hope in us. And so just as an aside here, we learn something about the very nature of preaching here. About what preaching is. Because if faith leads to truth, which leads to hope, then preaching has to go along that journey. It has to take people on that journey, or else then it doesn't accomplish what it's accomplished to do. So how might we evaluate that? And again, let me just speak a little bit here. If preaching is about faith, then to a degree, every time we hear preaching, it needs to have the gospel in there. And here, let me just give four simple words to understand the gospel. This is how we receive eternal life. There is a God, and he is holy. But the four words are this, God, sin, Christ, trust. There's a God, he is holy. We have disobeyed him. We have turned our back on him. We deserve to be separated from him forever. But yet Jesus takes our place, takes our punishment, and through him, we can receive eternal life. And we have a decision to make on that whether we will trust in Christ for our eternity or not. That's the simple gospel. God, sin, Christ, trust, our response. And that's how we can have a sure and certain hope of eternal life. And even as I've said that, maybe you've never trusted in Christ. You agree with me on the first three. God, sin, Jesus, but you've never trusted in him. Oh, wouldn't you do that now in just the quietest of your heart? Trust in Christ. So that's the first thing we learn. Preaching must have that gospel component of furthering and beginning the faith, but it also must have a truth component. And here's what we mean by that, systematically and thoroughly explaining Scripture. Preaching is not about how wise or clever or persuasive or charismatic anyone is. It's about how, they, how someone would clearly interpret and explain and apply Scripture. That's what preaching is. It doesn't really matter who speaks, and I understand. It does matter, again, in communication. But ultimately, what preaching does when is the gospel is taught and when the word is explained, it has a supernatural effect of bringing hope into our lives. When that kind of preaching is laid out, it's like a good meal. You don't remember every good meal you eat, but you certainly need them to stay healthy and keep growing. And the preaching of the word enables us to continue to have a solid faith. And the reason I just wanted to spend a little bit of an aside on that to define a little bit of what preaching is, because if you look around the world today and you look around Canada, there's much that goes on that is not actually preaching. And the reason it matters so much is if if someone is preaching, but not by this definition and not sharing the gospel and not explaining to scripture, what happens in people's hearts is there's not a hope of eternal life. There's a diminishment of life. And life begins to shrivel and die inside. It's so important that we understand what it is so that we can receive it well. It is our heart and goal to accomplish this each Sunday, to be clear on the gospel and to clearly explain scripture. And I admit I do some weeks better that than others, but yet it is always my heart and my goal to preach in this manner. Preaching has a way, anytime any of us proclaim the truth of God, it has a way of ultimately leading to hope in people's lives. But as you would think about that, and maybe this morning again, back to someone who's weary and you just need comfort and help. Let me just end with this illustration. It comes from Pilgrim's Progress. 
This was written a long time ago by a man named John Bunyan. He tells the story of Christian and at this point in the journey, his friend Hopeful, and they are journeying through this allegory that represents the Christian life. And they come to this spot in the journey where they get onto this giant's castle and he imprisons them in what is called Doubting Castle. Anyone know Doubting Castle? They're in a very dark dungeon. John Bunyan writes, they're in a pitiful plight and they were discouraged not only because they were in the doubter's castle, but because they had been on an ill-advised, hasty decision that got them there. And if you remember Pilgrim's Progress, it's a fairly bleak moment for Christian and for hopeful. And then John Bunyan writes these words. Then Christian suddenly broke out in amazement. What a fool! What a fool I am to lie here in this stinking dungeon when I might walk free on the highway to glory. I have a key in my pocket called promise, which I am sure will open any door in Doubting Castle. And then Hopeful says, that is certainly good news, my brother. Get out that key right now and try it. And then Christian took the key of promise and pushed it into the lock of the dungeon door. The bolt fell back and the door came open. It's a wonderful illustration of what the truth of God, when we know the truth of the gospel and the truth and the promises of God's word, as we put those into action, it breeds hope in our lives. And that's the third prayer. God, might you grow greater hope in us this year. And if you're lacking hope, then I hope as you would go in your knowledge of truth, that it would just expand and grow your hope in the eternal life and that the best is yet to come. Let me just offer a brief review of the three prayers. It's this, God, may you help me to further the faith of other people. God, may you take me deeper. May I know your truth, your gospel truth. And God, as a result of that, may you instill in me a great hope for the eternal life that I have. Let's just spend a moment and pray together as we end. If you would just bow your head with me. And as we think about that first one, furthering the faith, is there someone's name that comes to your mind? Someone where you would say, this person, I need to further their faith. Or God, would you, maybe it's just a cry out, God, let me further someone's faith this year. Help me, point me, let me see where you're at work. Just pray that back to him right now. And then as we think about the second point, growing in our knowledge of truth, how does God want you to do that this year? as he wants you to connect with him. And as you think about leading to godliness, is there an area even right now you just need to repent of? And say, God, just help me to walk with you to live a godly life. And then lastly, when we think about eternal life, do you know for sure your eternity? Do you have for sure a hope of eternity? And if not, even just now in your heart, would you just turn from your sin and trust in Christ? Put all your faith in him and let him just restore you and re regenerate you even now. And then for others of you, might you just say, Lord, you see my hope is low. You see what I've been through this last year, these last five years. God, my hope is low. Might you just say, oh God, just help me know your promises. Fill me with your hope even this day, this year. So Father, we thank you for this truth. God, we thank you, Lord, for Paul, who had such a focused life and knew what he was about and what he desired for others. And oh God, may you create that same spirit in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
you still have your Bibles open, down to verse 4, Paul says these words as he wraps up his introduction. Such a nice pastoral words. Grace and peace from God the Father and, our Christ, and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like Paul looks out at his readers and he says, here's what I want you to have. I want you to have grace and I want you to have peace. Knowing that everything is a gift from God and peace to all of us. And that would be my heart for everyone and I'm going to end the service with those words in a moment. But I just wanted to pause. There, there's one particular family that I think we all just want God's grace and peace in their lives. And, and I think most of you know Josh Schultz, who's our director of worship arts, his sister, or Richard and Beth, who you know, their daughter, she suddenly and tragically died this last week. And so the funeral was yesterday, and if you know that story, you, you are mourning and grieving with them. And so as you, thank you, Harbor, for so many of you who are praying, who are loving, who are practically caring for them, please just continue to do that. Please continue just to love and walk with and care for them as we just desire God's grace in their lives and God's peace in their lives. Just pray that way for them. Let me just turn the page and you'll see on the side screens, remind you of Wednesday night, our, our worship night, worship, prayer, being together. I hope the auditorium's full. Hope many of you will come back and be a part as we just begin. Come as a group together and sort of start the all church in that way. And so we normally end each service with four words, so I'll just invite you to stand now as we would say those words together. And what we are going to do is just, this is our memory verse that you saw at the beginning that Mark introduced us. So let's just say this out loud together, and then I'll say a few words and we'll be dismissed. But this will be good practice for us memorizing this over the next seven weeks. Let's say it together. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And now harbor grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ on you. Harbor, we are here.